October 2019 brought mass protests to the cities of Iraq. Coordinating over social media, activists organized to demonstrate against government corruption, failing public services, and unemployment. The protests crossed what had previously been rigid sectarian lines with the protesters looking to build alliances across the Sunni-Shia divide. Two years on, Iraq has seen changes. The 2018 elected prime minister, Adil Abdul Mahdi, stepped down in 2020, replaced by Mustafa al-Qadami, who in response to protest, promised to hold early elections. Those elections were held on October 10th, 2021. But those protesting live in fear. Many have been killed and threatened, causing some to go into hiding. You're listening to Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Leila Garagoslu. And this week, we're asking, will the Iraq elections bring change? Before we start, please subscribe to Beyond the Headlines so you can get all the latest episodes. The ongoing protests in Iraq issued a resounding cry for the end of a political system that has led many to be stuck in a state of poverty. Although Iraq is the Middle East's second largest oil producer, corruption has kept most of those profits from reaching the average person. Reports estimate 150 billion U.S. dollars of stolen Iraqi money has been smuggled out of the country since the U.S. invasion in 2003. Corruption has been the crux of the protests, but it is the access to healthcare, education, electricity, and clean water that drove people to the streets. Two years after these protests began, the elections took place. Only around a third of the population that was eligible to vote took part. So what happened to all that activism that spurred the nation? Lahib Higel is a senior Iraq analyst for Crisis Group. The political system in Iraq faces a legitimacy crisis. The reason why a large number of these new parties that uh, were established in the wake of the protest movement boycotted the elections was because of the violence that they experienced during the protest, but also in the, in the period leading up to elections with assassinations, targeting activists, kidnappings, intimidations, threats to disincentivize them uh, from participating in elections. Some of the activists that were involved in the protests that led to calls for an early election have now called for people to boycott them. Abu Khalid was injured in the protests. The results are already known. We know who's going to win because they're experts at these things. Whether we vote or not, the whole thing is pre-planned. It's already allocated and completed. They even know who they will appoint as prime minister. There's no point in voting, as we already know the results. There has been no accountability for the more than 600 activists that were killed during the protests. Many more have been injured, some abducted, and many are sent death threats regularly, causing some activists to go into hiding. In July 2021, just a few months before the election, the son of Fatima al-Bahadili, a prominent female activist in Basra, was found dead after he had been abducted. The ongoing danger to activists comes from various groups, and although arrests have been made, no one has been prosecuted. A UN report from 2021 points the finger at state security forces and unknown militias. Militias play a big role in the political landscape of Iraq. Most operate outside state control and have links to political parties. 
dubbed the Popular Mobilization Forces, they were integral to the fight against ISIS in 2014. But since then, the groups have not been disbanded. Many of these groups are controlled and backed by Iran. Although Prime Minister Al-Khadami promised a crackdown on militias, the reality of bringing down such powerful and well-armed groups is complicated. Threats of escalating violence when key figures or leaders in them are arrested not only undermines the rule of law, but also Iraqi sovereignty. The results from the election suggest that despite the low voter turnout, the Iraqi people are tired of foreign involvement in their political process. There are 329 seats available in the Council of Representatives. The Fatah Alliance, which won 48 seats in the 2018 election, is struggling to make even half that now. The group has known ties to Iran. The head of the alliance, Hadi al-Amiri, has rejected the results, saying we will not accept these fabricated results, whatever the cost. The biggest winner of this election is Muqtada al-Sadr, a Shiite cleric with a popular following and a nationalist message. He urged the Iraqi people to take to the ballots on the 10th of October to save the country. He has stood against U.S. involvement in the country and for cutting ties with Iran. His coalition of parties, known as the Sadrist Bloc, has secured over 70 seats. We won't allow parties to take control of public money and resources. They are for the people. Every corrupt person will be held accountable whoever they are. Whoever they are. Sadr's history is long and checkered. The son of Sadr al-Sadr, who was killed by Saddam's regime in 1999 for leading dissent amongst the Shiite majority, Muqtada built his support amongst the poorest Shiites in the country. The Sadr militia, Jaish al-Mahdi, were involved in many acts of resistance against the occupying U.S. forces and were accused of kidnappings, sectarian violence, and murder of those associated with the Ba'ath Party. But Sadr moved away from the front line of politics over the last few years, only to reemerge as the man who plans to free Iraq from exactly what many of the activists and voters are demanding, corruption and foreign interference. As Sadr's wins potentially change the political landscape of Iraq, another element of this election which had the potential to do so was the opening up of voting for independents not aligned to political parties. It is the first time since the U.S. invasion in 2003 that this has been an option. Dr. Dunya al-Naimi is a doctor who fled Iraq with her husband in the 1990s. She has returned to her home city of Mosul to run in the elections. Every time I come to see my country, I see things are getting worse and worse over the time. There's no basic services. It's not available there. It's short of electricity. And there's no even clear water. There's poverty is getting worse and worse. Uh, unemployment, uh, corruptions, uh, so many things, which, you, you know, which is sad to see such rich country, such educated country um, is going downhill like that. So therefore, I decided, OK, I'm, 
I, I'll give it a go. And then I try to make changes because uh, I was so adamant that you know, I, I will transfer my UK experience to, to be here. And hopefully people will uh, probably will vote for me. But uh, as I said, unfortunately, there's lots of corruptions and the political money and capital all play part in that. So um, here you go. Dr. Al-Naimi calls into question the independence of some of the candidates. I'm a doctor and I can't even afford opening uh, an office for me. I can't afford paying for other people. Uh, I can't afford donating. Think about even simple things, which we can't do, but these independent people being been doing and spending generously, which makes me think there's no independency here. It's just another way of um, getting more seats for uh, uh, certain parties. Dr. Al-Naimi went into the streets of Mosul and tried to speak to the people about their concerns. Despite her campaigning and her loss, she has a lot of understanding for those who wanted to boycott the election. I don't blame them because, you know, whenever I go and educate people, they're telling me, oh, we're going to boycott the election because, um, you know, it's, it's again producing the same faces, the same parties and the same corrupted people. So what's the point in going and, and uh, giving our vote? A minimal number of seats have gone to independence, and Lahib explains this is a small step towards change. Well, I don't think during this period that it will have much influence on on the outcome, even with the number of independents that we have in parliament. Let's say that, you know, they would form a sort of opposition. It is not one that will be very powerful inside parliament, but just the fact that there is a first step to that potential uh, in the Iraqi parliamentary system, I think is is a positive step since it hasn't existed before. And these small steps are often mentioned in the solution for Iraq's myriad of problems. People often talk about the long-term changes that need to take place. And this is partly why the boycott was called. Although it was the lack of services that drove people to the streets, Lahib Higgel says there is only one problem in Iraq. Iraq suffers from uh, one main issue, and that is corruption. And it trickles down from the absolutely highest level of, levels of office through the state bureaucracy to civil servants. And unless this is curbed, then I think that it will be very difficult to see improved public services for people. Iraq is consistently ranked as one of the most corrupt countries in the world. 30% of those employed in Iraq work for the government. Government jobs offer security to those that can secure them. But from scandals in 2010, where reports of MPs receiving salaries of over 20,000 U.S. dollars a month, to more recent scandals of people working for the government taking bribes for government jobs, the political system is seen to be mired in privilege and exploitation. Like Dr. Al-Naimi, Lahib understands why many have chosen to boycott the election. Instead of becoming a vehicle for change, protest demands for early elections turned into a legitimate way to preserve a dysfunctional yet resilient system. Despite this skepticism, the Imtidad movement, a political bloc born of the activist protests, have secured a number of seats. One of their candidates, Allah al-Rikabi, urged his community to vote. Why do we waste our opportunity and then we go back and say those are thieves, those are corrupt, those hurt us? Despite the push for these elections, the turnout has been low. Those boycotting the elections have no faith in the system that has failed them for so many years. 
The idea that those in power will question the legitimacy of their own positions due to low voter turnout is perhaps optimistic, but the sentiment is widespread. Although there are some seeds of change in the results coming in, it is not the drastic reform that many Iraqis had hoped for. Will it be enough to tackle the corruption, the militias, and ultimately bring basic services to the people? Dr. Al-Naimi does not think so. I don't know. It's just my country. When I feel so sad, you know, I came with all hopes to make changes and to have a positive impact on those people. Uh, I saw people suffering. I saw people dying. I saw, uh, you know, bad services and people treated with indignity and no respect to, to people. People queuing outside offices and they treated so badly. Uh, hospitals are not very, uh, you know, equipped with even simple things. So I just came and I was hoping to make changes and um, I came with full intention of uh, trying to do something for my country but unfortunately I was just so surprised that being honest it doesn't work here unfortunately. You've been listening to Beyond the Headlines. I've been your host Leila Garagoslu. Thanks this week to Lahib Higal, Dr. Dunya Al-Naimi, Abu Khalid and Ala Al-Rakabi. To keep up to date with the latest episodes of Beyond the Headlines please click the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. This week's episode was produced by Aisha Khan, Bob Tullis, Mina Aldrubi, and Arthur Edison.